Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff, and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one -on -one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the high performance mindset. The present moment is where we want to be. If we're gonna, if we have a, if we're gonna increase our chances of thriving. Welcome to episode 343 with Kirsten Peterson. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff, and I am grateful that you're here. If you know that mindset is essential to your success, then you are in the right place. And I am pumped today to announce a podcast giveaway that we are organizing here at the High Performance Mindset Podcast. It is unbelievable and you're going to love it. The full details are over at drsyndra.com slash giveaway. And I'm giving away $500 in cash, a free coaching session with me personally, two subscriptions to our Beyond Grid Academy, and 50 free best-selling hardcover Beyond Grit books. It is really easy to enter, and I hope you win the $500 in cash. So you can head over to drsyndra.com giveaway for the details. That's drcindra.com slash giveaway. Now in April, I organized a high-performance mindset summit. And I interviewed 22 experts on the topic of high performance mindset and Kirsten saw it. And it was cool that I inspired her to start her own, which we're talking about today in the episode. It is a free summit that you'll learn more about as you listen to Kirsten and I. So Kirsten today is talking about thriving in uncertainty and drawing on 22 years of international experience as a sport and performance psychologist for Olympic athletes, coaches, and teams in the US and Australia, Kirsten understands how high performance works. She was a team psychologist at seven Olympic games and has worked with numerous sports, most recently with the Australian National Women's Water Polo and Rowing Programs. Kirsten has also worked for high performance organizations, including the United States Olympic Committee. That's where I first began to follow her work and the Australian Institute of Sport. As the head of the Australian Institute of Sport Performance Psychology team, she managed a team of sports psychologists across four states, crafted national sports psychology strategy and programs for sports psychologists across the Australian National Network, and provided advice to national sport organizations. So in this podcast, Kirsten and I talk about why embracing failure is key to high performance. What is at the heart of mastering the mental game? the separations of the world's best from a mental perspective, why we need to become friends with our mind, and we also talk about why over 50% of people report not being in the present moment. Finally, she describes her summit on thriving in uncertainty and change, which she is organizing and you can listen to for free. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, wherever you're listening, head over and subscribe and give us a five-star rating and review. 
Today's featured rating and review is from Laura Moore. Laura says, OMG, I love this podcast. As a startup founder, I know it's all about performance and consistency, and I'm looking forward to following your advice to growing my company. Thanks again. P.S. I love the quotes, by the way. (laughs) Thank you, Laura Moore. I am grateful for your rating and review, and I'd love to read yours next week. So wherever you're listening, you can head over and leave us a rating and review, and I will promise I will check it out. Make sure you share this episode with a friend. Anytime something catches your interest or you think about a friend, you can just copy and paste the link on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you are listening. You could text a friend and tell them you're thinking about them and share the episode. You could also share the episode on your Instagram stories and tag me at Sindra Kampoff. That's C-I-N-D-R-A-K-A-M-P-H-O-F-F. Without further ado, let's bring on Kirsten. So Kirsten Peterson, I'm so excited that you are here today, KP. I'm really excited that you are joining us. So why don't you just start and give us a little bit of background and describe a little bit about your passion and what you do. Sindra, it's a pleasure to be here. And I, um, for those of you listening, Sindra and I came together as a result of me really being inspired by your work and your Mindset Summit, which gave me an idea in the middle of the pandemic I was casting about for things to do and seeing what you had done has sent me on my own journey. And so um, I am so grateful to have seen come across that and, and started a dialogue between the two of us. I have been classically trained as a sports psychologist and had a long and really, I thought, good career in that space, working both in the US and Australia. Um, but as I came more into my own and what and realized what I am really about with regard to and what I understand more and more about how athletes actually thrive, that some of the ways in which sport works was going against that. So I was uh, working with coaches who would literally say to me, you know, I break them, you fix them. This is the way it works here. And so I just, it, in my gut, I'm thinking there has got to be a better way to do this in ways that don't have to break the athlete on the way to a great performance. And so in branching out into my own practice, really my tagline on my business is higher performance and happier life. Awesome. And the idea being that we can, we can help, I think sports psychology, performance psychology, and my, certainly myself, it's around performance is sustainable. Mm, awesome. I'm looking forward to talking to you more about that, like this idea of happiness and high performance. Hmm. So if we back up a little bit, you've just had such incredible experience and um, you've been able to go and support athletes at the Olympic Games, for example. So just give us a little bit of background on how did you get to where you are today? How did you get to Australia? And then what are some of the highlights um, along the way? Sure. Well, I, you know... Just as I, the event I'm about to run stands on the shoulders of giants, I, including you, um, I, I've been really fortunate in my career to work alongside some of the best sports psychologists in the business. And so I uh, was able to get a job uh, pretty much out of graduate school working at the USOC, the US Olympic Committee, US Olympic and Paralympic Committee now, and working alongside sports psychologists like Sean McCann, Peter Haberl, and learned a ton about, and, and being able to track athletes across their Olympic careers um, 
yeah, to the games and, and being at a benchmark event like that is as shocking to a sports psychologist as it is for athletes and coaches, to be honest. Um, and so I think it's funny how we all have our Olympic moments, you know, you go in and it's just such a big event. Um, but after 14 years at the USOC, I, my daughter was 11 and I was just kind of done. I wanted to be with her. I'd been traveling a lot. So I, I quit the USOC um, with really nothing in place. And, but within a month and a half of leaving, the AIS found out I didn't have a job. So the Australian Institute of Sport, so they reached out. And it seemed like, oh, wouldn't that be fun to move to Australia? Yeah, and that sounds glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like when you're just doing it in theory, but then um, uh, I mentioned it to my family and my then 11 year old daughter was like, oh, that'd be cool. And my husband was like, no way in hell. I love Colorado. <laughs> We're not doing that. And then, and, and of course the way it goes is with all this ambivalence, I'm going through the steps of the interview process anyway. And it's, I'm kind of just cruising along and, and they kept, the AIS just wouldn't let it drop. And, and it, so it came time for me to fly out for an interview and my husband's like, I'm not going. And then a week before the interview, the airfare has dropped like $500. Karma. And he's like, Karma. Right. so, so he, caught, he goes with me to the interview and um, falls in love with Canberra. Aww. I mean, like, I'm seriously dating Canberra. He would marry Canberra. <laughs> so it would, um, it went, and then in the way of marriage dynamics, you know, I was the one pushing, pushing, pushing. We got to do this, got to do this. And then, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh my gosh, we got to do this. And I'm like, no way in hell are we doing this. I, I don't want to do this. And, uh, but I was offered the job and, and eventually he wore me down and we made the jump with our family. We, it was also good timing for, you know, my, my daughter wasn't too old. We thought it'd be a really good experience for her. So first year at the AIS and just moving internationally, I don't recommend it for the faint of heart because it is yeah. quite stressful, but it ended up being one of the best things our family could do. And my, my daughter who, after her initial like, yes, let's go do it, of course didn't want to do it, but then came to love it again. Um, and so seven years, the, the AIS job turned into the best job I never wanted and really <laughs> my time there. Um, but then they, as all good things come to an end, the, the AIS did a reorganization where they decided to divest themselves of their sports sciences. This was back in 2018. So I was, as they say in Australian language, made redundant, which would be Australian for sort of being laid off from, from my role. Uh, but they buy out, they give you a package to leave. And so that allowed me to make the jump into this private practice, which was great timing. Because right around that time, all the philosophical things that were happening for me in my own growth as a, as a psychologist um, were coming to bear and it, and it was time to really yeah. do my own thing. Um, thank you, thanks for describing your journey there. And so I wanna dive into how you see performance psychology and what's what use the observations that you've made over the last many years. So to start, um, KP, I usually ask everybody to define what failure means to them and tell us about a time that you failed. And I think about well, what, what incredible experiences that you've gotten and that you know, you've, you've been able to really live through. So what do you think is failure? And tell us about a time that didn't go so great for you. You know, it's a great and loaded question because mm -hmm. I find that 
in sport in particular, failure is such a bad word. And it's mm -hmm. seen so horribly by people like the failure is not an option or and so I do I, I do a lot of reframing of failure because I think that's the only way we learn and get better, especially if we're trying to be the best at our craft, we're always going to be pushing the edge. So failure lets you know where the edge is. Um, so it's important and it's indispensable. And, uh, you know, we learn, you know, it's a truism, but it, it's a truism and cheesy because it's true that we really learn the most from our failures. So um, a lot of this is sort of turning around and embracing failure rather than running away from it. And I find that's a big part of my work um, is getting people to, to, or athletes or coaches to be in that space. How would you, um, in your personal opinion, help people move uh, forward after failure and really embrace this as you just described? I think it's, it's in a, you know, theoretically, it's the how quickly they can metabolize the failure into learning. So really, first of all, I, I do a lot of work with people and their emotional experience. And so you know, failure is just an event, but it's often our reaction to it that's the yeah. hardest thing for us. So helping people to tune in and and be wise around that reaction, meaning it's it's a natural experience that your body is giving off that you're disappointed, which is fine. So you go through that process, but we don't want to overly react to it and keep shooting ourselves in the foot with the, the arrow of suffering. So how do we reduce that and start talking about in a sort of a more uh, dispassionate way, really get good at debriefing. What, what can we take away from it and how do we move forward? Because really that's, that's what resilience is, is how fast you can do that. Right, so, yeah, your ability yeah. to bounce back. Really good point. So when you think about um, the world's best and some of the great athletes mm -hmm. you, that you've been able to work with, what do you think separates them from a mental perspective? They, there's a lot of self-knowledge there. I find that Athletes who kind of go through the, 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 who develop through the pipeline of sport to, to be great, they, they generally hit a point early in their career, and I think you're going to ask me this, but early in the career, you get athletes who tell me they know what's best for them, but clearly they do not, you know, um, and so often my advice to athletes early in the career is like, let's make sure you have a trusted tribe around you who can give you the best advice possible and you stay in that tribe. So you, mm -hmm. you kind of go with what brought you, but don't try to do this on your own because there's, there's expertise out there that you need. But then it, 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 inevitably you get to a point in your development as an athlete where you start to realize you know really what you need. You know, it might be a training load. It might be that I need to focus on this aspect of my uh, experience, but coaches are not letting me do that because it's it's breaking out of the program. And I think, you know, it's when athletes move into that space, I believe they need to be allowed this the space to do do it their way if they can. You know, and the, the art is knowing when that is. But I find that the athletes I work with, they inevitably have a clash with the coach because the coach has to grow with them to mm -hmm. get to be in that space. If that makes sense. Yeah, and so sure. I think it's that it's self-awareness and then an unflinching uh, search for the next thing that's going to make me that much better. So I don't rest on this idea that I'm number one in the world. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean anything to me, my mm -hmm. relative ranking. It's what am I doing to be the very best I can be. 
And do you think the, this idea of being the best that I can be and continually searching for that, do you think that's something that's just um, like that they're born with? You know, this desire, this hunger, or do you think it's, they cultivate it? Does it come from failure? When you think about some of the athletes you've worked with, what do you think? That's a great question. I, I would never want to count anybody out for any reason whatsoever, because yeah. I find that you, you, the world is, is just full of athletes who weren't the most gifted, mm -hmm. who, who just through hard work, figure it out. Yeah. Um, Good point. I don't want to count anyone else out either, or just anybody. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know that I could say some of the most inspiring athletes I know started so early, like they were wise beyond their years. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, when you get a 20 something telling me that he's decided he's going to take cold showers for the next two years because he wants to understand and live in his, out of his comfort zone, a 20 year old, you know, like you don't, you don't you don't train that. But nevertheless, I think there are people, and I'm sure you know this as well as I do, who come to you for help, and they're just past the peak of their, maybe their natural talent, but they're gonna, they're getting crafty and wily, and they're using their mind to its best ability, and they can extend their career and become really good simply because they, they're wise enough to understand how to make that happen. Absolutely. Excellent. So I have a couple of statements I'd love for you to finish. So we're going to start with this one. Uh, KP, at the heart of mastering the mental game, it is important to blank. The heart of mastering the mental game. I, I, I come back to the idea of it's, it's about the ability to be in the moment and, this, and radically accept what's on offer so you can move through that moment the best you can. I was going to say something about trust. And then I pivoted right in the middle of it. So it really is, I think, our ability to be, to master our own mental destiny is this awareness of what's right happening right here, the ability to focus on it and the ability to quickly accept and know what you need to do with that moment to the best of your ability. Cool. And I like what you said about mastering our mental destiny. <laughs> <laughs> don't know where that came from. <laughs> I was like, that's really cool. Tell us what that means. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I, I think it's, it's, you can't be better than you are, yeah. but you can be all that you are. And that's kind of what I, you know, it's a, that sounded so cheesy. That's hey, I, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> what about this ability of being in the present? Obviously it's something that you can train. We know that in terms of research and performance psychology, but what do you think is the best way to train your ability to stay in the present moment or how do you approach that with an athlete or a team you're working with? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of what, it's like physical training in that you, you can do a lot or a little, um, but if you do more and you're smart about it, you can get, I think you can get to where you want to go faster, but so, so this idea, there's like a deep end of the pool with regard to how much you practice and a, a shallower end of the pool where I think we can simply remind ourselves to be aware throughout the day more often, you know, and, and do activities in a mindful way. So you're practicing it, not necessarily um, while living your life. So brushing your teeth, eating a meal, driving, wouldn't that, what a lovely idea. Let's be mindful while we're driving. Um, but I think that the, 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 uh, some dedicated practice each day 
helps deepen our ability to be aware uh, and just teaches us by sitting, say, and, and actually engaging in a meditation practice. You just start to become friends with your mind because you're, you're, you're not allowing activities to distract you from it and you're just sitting with it, which sounds so damn simple, but far from easy. Um, and, and I think that regular daily practice is the way to go. And there's a million ways to go about doing that. There's all sorts of apps. You can do it on your own. You can do it with a teacher. Um, but it is the doing in the same way that we would say, let's go to physical train every day. Um, I will say that I find athletes will say to me, well, I tried meditation and I suck at it. So therefore I won't do it anymore. But then you using the analogy of physical training, you know, you have bad days in training, but it doesn't ever stop. You know, you don't go, well, that was a sucky day at physical training. I'm just going to not do it anymore. So we need to treat our mental training the, the very same way we would treat our physical training. Awesome. To me, that means like not taking a day off of mental training and making sure that we're really using this to our full potential. Yeah, like it's prep. It's because it's a practice it, and the practice isn't to become a better meditator. You know, any more than going to the gym is it, athletes don't go to the gym so they get better at lifting weights. It's a it means to an end um, for for performance. I, I find it's also a mean. It's it's a wonderful practice in its own right. But um, I guess I want to be careful not to make it into something to achieve. It's it's a play. It, it, it's developing my awareness and it's and my sense of being, which underpins any decision that we're going to make or any way that we cope with pressure or uncertainty or whatever it is we're dealing with. Excellent. Uh, what a great answer. So how about this uh, statement? How would you answer this? If you are getting started on your journey to master the mental game, you should blank. I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier that I think it is finding good resources to help you. And, you know, so I think about performance psychologists uh, as being one of those resources, but don't, uh, you know, like stand on the shoulders of giants, go to people who have done it to find out how to do it. And what's based in science, like I find in sport in particular, like we talk a lot about mental toughness and there's ways in which you develop that. And where, where I think there is absolutely a place to learn how to be disciplined and have help and your mind can help you do that. I think we, it, it's easy to glom onto ideas about how to develop the mind that actually aren't very helpful. And so you want to be like, where do I go? What's the science say? What, we know so much more about how to work with the mind than we did even 10 years ago that you want to make sure that whatever approach you take is evidence-based. KP, what I really appreciated what you just said was this idea of like evidence-based and making mm -hmm. sure that you're using uh, evidence to make good decisions in terms of as a practitioner, but also as a performer. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about why you think that's really important. Because I think we can inadvertently go the wrong way. Like you can take a journey to decide how you want to develop your mind. But if you don't know where you're going and why you're doing it, then you might end up in a place you don't want to be in. But I think... 
And I think there's a lot, unfortunately, we're just not as well regulated a field as we could be in this area of sort of mental improvement. There's all sorts of things out there. You just want to be careful. And I, you know, so I would be looking for experts to guide you in a way that gets you, and you you want to be efficient. You want to get get to where you want to go as as quickly as possible and, and learn good habits as opposed to learning bad habits that take you down a rabbit hole and make your journey to mental mastery that much longer. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about the summit that you have coming up, Thriving in Uncertainty Insights from Elite Performance Psychologists. I'm so excited to uh, listen to the summit and be a part of the summit. So, um, And I'm just impressed and uh, grateful that you're doing this just because I think it's going to help so many people. So give us a little insight on what led you to start this summit. Well, you. Um, well, it was like you seeing what you were doing came at this moment in time for me where the pandemic had hit and we're all in lockdown. Um, and I was, so I didn't have as much business as, you know, we all kind of lost business as well. So you kind of thinking, how can I do good in the world right now? And, and as it happens, I, w- I was eligible for welfare from Australia, which they actually and so I spent my first two welfare checks on an event management company. That's <laughs> awesome. Make this, I know, well, it's like, what else am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I, yourself it, and others by doing that. But it was like, I also realized that I think psychology, performance psychology is kind of a well-kept secret, you know, because of the confidentiality issue, we're often unable to really speak clearly on what we do. And I know in, in sport, sometimes there's some misconceptions that, you know, we hypnotize people or it's only for people who are crazy. And I think there's such a, we have, we have a, a, a group of people, uh, a profession that could do good in this time. And uh, if we need some good happening to us as a population, as a world, uh, this would be the time. And I also when I worked at the AIS, I did a lot of networking. That was part of my role. And I realized that I missed these people too, because now on my own, I, and so a real side benefit to organizing this was I got to catch up with lots of old friends, which was awesome in itself and meet new ones like you. So it's for the, it's for people who might would be looking for tools. Um, It's and it's, to help demystify how performance psychologists work with people and what they teach them. And maybe just different little tips. Everybody's going to have a, a slightly different take on it. Um, and I think that, that was kind of where it, where it landed that I thought there's a, there's a lot of wisdom out there that we could package up in a way that might be accessible for, you know, athletes and coaches, um, performers of other stripes. So we have people from music and military coming to talk a little bit on their their take on things. And then just professionals across different walks of life. So it's a pretty broad, I'm probably not being very commercially smart in that way, but I think, because I think there's commonalities in understanding how our minds, we can work better with our minds through uh, uncertainty and change that really are applicable to the human race, frankly, you know, and that we could get better at being in the moment, you know, and managing ourselves when the the world around us is so chaotic. So I want to ask you a question that I think you're going to ask me on the summit. (laughs) Um, And I think really fits a lot along this line of uh, dealing with uncertainty and even thriving Mm -hmm. in it. And I think just this idea that you can thrive in uncertainty is 
um, I think a, a mental shift for some people. Mm. But when you think about your mind, and you just said something about being, you know, part being human and and part of the mental condition. Tell us how your mind either helps or hurts your ability to thrive during change. Yeah. So our 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 brain is an organ. We could argue about what the mind actually is. You know, it's our consciousness, but it's informed very much by how our brain works. And so our brain we evolved as a species, not necessarily to be happy, but just to survive, right? So it, which is not good news for those of us who want to be happy. Um, but, and so what, instead what has happened is that our brains have evolved to be exceptional threat assessment machines, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about how we came through the millennia, it was always the paranoid, you know, threat assessing cave person who out survived the optimistic happy cave person because that other one would get eaten by the saber tooth tiger. So the paranoid threat assessing caveman was passing his or her genes down through the generations. So now we're in a situation where our brains have evolved to look around for threat to prepare us so we can protect ourselves which works when the threats were, you know, kind of concrete and saber-toothed tiger coming to get us. But the threat of a pandemic isn't something you can really be hypervigilantly prepared for. Uncertainty is an amorphous existential concept that our brains have not prepared ourselves to, to threat assess wisely for. So we get kind of caught in this loop, I see, and people really worried about an uncertain future in a way that isn't productive or helpful. It's natural. And so where I think we we want to be going is it's teaching the skills because what's happened is we as as we have evolved, humans differentiate from other species on the planet through their uh, this part of our brains, the prefrontal cortex, which is where we can make decisions and where we can think about our thinking and to employ that as wisely as possible to help override some of our instinctive uh, mind responses are or the way in which the brain gets hijacked to keep us in a hypervigilant worry state. So we need to be able to back away from that. And there's physiological ways in which we can do that. But there's also some of the mental training we've been talking about can also help us move into a state. It doesn't change, the you know, it's not going to change our reality, but it changes our orientation to it in a way that frees up energy for the things that matter right now, as opposed to spending so much um, energy, mental energy on worry about things that, that the, the future hasn't even been written yet, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I appreciate the way that you just described that and exceptional threat machines. That's one thing I heard you say is like, we are threat machines. So we're looking for well, threat speaking. detector machines. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, right. You know what I mean? So we're always out there looking, you know, you think about when we worry, it's always about the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. We ever worry about the best case scenario? No, that wouldn't yeah. be worrying. <laughs> Isn't that true? And, and yeah, that's where we get stuck. And yet there's a, an array of possibilities in our future, but we tend to go and just sit in, in a thought loop around what if, what if, what if. And, and I, all I'm trying to do is help us be a little bit uh, more able to sit in this moment because while we're worrying we're also missing out on what's happening right here and so if i were worried and i can't even attend to what you and i are talking about that's a double loss for me 
I'm making myself miserable and I'm missing out on whether it's an interview with you or it's an interaction with somebody I love. And I think we can do, a, you know, maybe it's cheeky to call it thriving, but I think we can be a lot more settled and dare I say happier. Yeah. yeah. Something about the power of the present moment that I think is fascinating. There was a study done by the Mindfulness Institute and they, they had 3,000 subjects around the world and they had them wear some kind of device that would ping them at random parts in the day and people had to report what they were doing, okay. what they were doing, what they were thinking about and how they were feeling at, at these random moments. And what they found was, A, people spent almost 50% of their time not in the present moment. Wow. I know. It's crazy. And the other finding was that emotionally they were at their happiest when they were in the present moment. Wow. So it's a really great endorsement in my view for this idea that we need to cultivate this ability to be in the present more often because it it literally makes us happier. Now they I think the only caveat to that was when people were fantasizing about sex that was more fun than the present moment apparently. Um, anyway, but I, so I really like trying to, I think people kind of get it, but it, there is real research to back this idea that the present moment is where we want to be. If we're going to, if we have a, if we're going to increase our chances of thriving. Yeah. Excellent. So give us a sense of what strategies that you've used during this time of uncertainty and change in the world. What have you been doing to cope and to stay in the present? Well, I think like planning this summit has mm -hmm. been um, like the best medicine ever. I think it's, it, I had a, a mantra that I dreamed up, this idea of being here, being nice and doing good. And I've blogged about this because I just find these ideas to be really compelling in this time in particular. They've really helped me. So really solidifying my own contemplative practice so that I am able to recognize when I'm more in and out. And, and then I just, there's something for me around the common humanity piece and, and just making sure that I'm always leading with niceness as much as I can, because I, and you know, I, we hear the stories about the pandemic bringing the best and the worst out in people. And I prefer to sort of edge it more toward the best because the worst is not, you know, what there's no, there's nowhere to go there. And we appreciate that when you're under threat, we do tend to go to our worst. So how do we reduce our personal threats so we can be nicer to people? And then doing good. Yeah. Where can you do it? And recognizing that it's, it's not selfish to feel good about that. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm basking in the friendships with colleagues I've rediscovered like, and getting positive reactions from people. I hope the event is everything that I'm, I, it won't be from lack of work, but it has been, you know, I, I can't overstate. I, I vacillate between panic and euphoria about it, but had I not engaged in this thought about what can I do to do good, I would not be any of those things right now. Wow. But and I would this say, is yeah, phenomenal. This is going to be a lot of good. So give us a sense of like the logistics of the summit. And one of the things I really like about it is there's some live parts and then some pre-recorded parts. Um, you can listen to it and watch it live. So give us a little sense of where can we find the details and just some of the logistics sure. uh, for us to go check it out. Yeah. 
there'll be 20 performance psychologists on offer, all talking to different various aspects of thriving through uncertainty. Uh, it's the, well, and unfortunately for our, the US market, this is happening in Australia, Sydney time zone. So, which means that we're starting at 8.30 in the morning on Saturday, the 13th of June, running through the end of business, business on like 6 p.m. Sunday, the 14th of June. So the translation will be something along the lines of, Sindra, you're the first interview of the summit. So for anybody listening and want to hear Sindra talking about thriving through uncertainty, she'll be on, I believe, 6 p.m. Central Time. Is that, does that sound right? Yes. Because you'll be on a 9 a.m. our time. So what we've tried to do uh, is front load the, the first half of our day, which will be the time when more people in the U.S. market can listen, will be actual live interviews. So we're going to make time for questions if people have questions of our, you know, of our interviewees. Um, I say our, it's, you know, I'll be the interviewer. And then it'll go through the night for you guys. So it starts at nine o'clock Sydney time, or it's 8.30 Sydney time, goes through to 6 p.m. So we have 10 interviews a day, half are live, half are pre-recorded. Awesome. And I will, um, so, so to find out about where, where to find out about it, my website, my, the company's name is Kirsten Peterson Consulting, longest title ever. So K-I-R-S-T-E-N-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N consulting.com. And there you can find a link to register for the event. So over the course of the live event, the, um, it's free. So you can pop in and out anytime and, and catch a listen. We'll be putting out a schedule with sort of little teasers on what each person's gonna talk about. So if you can only tune in a certain time, you'll know when to, to access the event. Awesome. Uh, and then once the event's over, we will be uh, creating a package that you can buy uh, of the of the event so that if you missed anything or, or wanted to re-listen you could have the event for yourself well what an incredible resource that you're going to provide for people and an incredible opportunity to learn more about performance psychology from you know just this wide variety of experts so i'm giving you a virtual high five right here <laughs> and telling you i'm really grateful that you're doing this and i know everybody who's going to go check it out um, I'll put it on the show notes as well for this podcast. Um, so you, wherever you're listening, you can just scroll down right now and you can uh, click on the link um, to Kirsten's website and, uh, and go ahead and register there. It is free to register. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's an honor for me to have you here. I think about when you were talking about um, giants in the field, I'm like, uh, Kirsten is a giant <laughs> and I'm interviewing her right now um, and also a humble giant. So um, thank you so much for bringing us. <laughs> so, a humble giant. <laughs> humble giant. Well, when you were talking about all the people that you worked with at the US, yeah. the first word I thought about was, you know, like Sean McCann and Peter Harbaugh, like they're just such great, humble people that are so giving and, um, just uh, great leaders in the field as, yeah. as well as you are. So uh, here's some things I got from the podcast. So I'd love to just kind of take a few notes and then for everybody who wasn't able to take notes, here's a few things that you can write down. I really liked our conversation about failure mm. um, and, uh, and the importance of like reframing the failure and really learning from it. You said that failure is an event uh, but many times that our, our uh, reaction to that can be most difficult. But I like this idea of that it's an event. It's not who mm -hmm. we are. We talked about um, being in the present moment to master your 
mental destiny. <laughs> I really like that. I'm never going to live that down. <laughs> Some, like examples of how to go about doing that. And uh, then this research study um, from the Mindfulness Institute that 50% of the, the, pe the people in the study were actually, or 50% of the time they weren't in the present moment, but their research shows that you're actually the happiest in the present. So mm. I thought that was um, incredibly powerful. And I'm just looking forward to um, checking out the interviews on the summit just to continue to learn as well. You can check out Kirsten Peterson over at KirstenPetersonConsulting.com. And I know you're on Twitter. Uh, give us uh, your Twitter handle and any other places that we can follow you. I think my Twitter handle is KPetersonPhD, I think. Awesome. Awesome. Thank All you, right. KP. Thanks for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Sindra. And you keep doing your good work. Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, remember to subscribe and you can head over to Dr. Sindra for show notes and to join my exclusive community for high performers where you get access to videos about mindset each week. So again, you can head over to Dr. Sindra. That's D-R-C-I-N-D-R-A dot com. See you next week.